0: and all God's people said great, great day, great music and a great time of fellowship together I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and let's go to the Lord in prayer and pray for one another pray for those who couldn't be here today we've got some sick folks, some with COVID some suffering with allergies and all of that kind of stuff And we want to remember to pray for uh, people today. Father, as we gather in your name, we want to not just think about ourselves, but we think about other people. I think about other churches that are gathering just like ours, maybe even at this very time, all around the world, and especially in our nation and in our community, and we want to pray for them. And we want to pray, Father, that they would speak the truth, and we want to pray that the truth would be received, and we want to pray that people would come to know Christ as Savior and Lord, and we want to pray that believers all across the metro area, the state, the nation, the world would be encouraged to stand up for Jesus and to live and to walk in victory. And we want to pray, Lord, for revival in our churches. We want to pray for a spiritual awakening in the United States of America. We want to pray, Father, that those who represent us in Congress and in government, we want to pray that they would have wisdom that comes from you. We want to pray for their salvation. And we want to pray that there would be a renewal in America by the power of the resurrected Christ. We want to pray for our sick folks. We want to pray for those who are suffering from COVID-19. We want to pray for those who are uh, suffering from allergies and things like that. We want to pray for our people who are going through trials right now. We want to pray for people that have marriage problems and rebellious children. We want to remember to pray for uh, people who are mourning and grieving. We want to pray for people who are suffering financially, and people who need jobs. We want to pray for people who are lonely. We want to pray for people who have fear. And we want to pray, Lord, that whatever it may be that's in our heart today that is not of you, that it would be taken away and it would be banished. And we want to pray that the hope of the resurrection would fill our hearts today and control our lives. So Holy Spirit, thank you that you are the comforter and we want to pray that you would give us your comfort today. Give us understanding as we look into your word and change lives and change us and may Jesus be glorified and worshipped as he deserves. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning and let's turn to the book of Revelation. And the message we're going to have this morning is going to be um, entitled, Jesus in His Own Words. What does Jesus have to say about Himself and about His resurrection and who He is? And that's what we need to know, and that's what we're going to focus on this morning. So, Revelation 1, 17 and 18. And when I saw Him... I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. And Jesus says, I am the one who lives and was dead. In the Greek, it's interesting because it says, I am he who lives and became dead. And we come here today to celebrate the resurrection, but there would be no need of resurrection had there not been a death. And the death of Jesus was real. Dr. W.A. Criswell said, tread softly around the cross for Jesus is dead. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit and died like a man dies. The head that was so beautifully, worshipfully anointed by Mary of Bethany is bowed in silent death. And the very lips that spake the words that called forth Lazarus from the grave are still and silent. The eyes that wept in compassion over Jerusalem "...are glazed in death, and the hands that blessed little children are nailed to a tree. And the feet that walked on the blue waters of Galilee are fastened to a cross. And the heart that bled and loved the world is broken and ruptured, and the crimson of his blood spills out on the ground. He is dead." And the death of Jesus Christ was not something that just was fabricated or something that uh, appeared to happen. He literally died, and he literally did that for you and for me and for the glory of God that we might be saved, that we might have hope, and that our sins might be paid for. But he didn't stay dead, and uh, the Bible tells us And saints have testified throughout the centuries that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. Now these words that we read in Revelation are written by John, the one who is called the beloved disciple. Um, His mother's name was Salome. And uh, the Bible tells us in the genealogy of Mary that Mary's sister was Salome. Could it be that Jesus and John the Apostle were related, that they were cousins? It could be. A lot of people believe that. And he was close to the Lord, which would testify to that. He and his brother James and the Apostle Peter were in the inner circle with the Lord Jesus, very close to him. They're the ones that wanted to call down fire from heaven called the sons of thunder. John was the one who was close to Jesus at the Last Supper. And Mary was to be cared for by John after Jesus' death. And John is the only apostle to die of natural causes. He lived on up into his 90s. And yet this one so close to Jesus has a strange and dramatic reaction to seeing his Lord. When he sees and hears the voice of the Lord, back in the days of Elijah, Elijah said that the Lord spoke in a still, small voice. Well, no longer in Revelation, when John heard him, he said his voice was like thunder. It was like many waters. It was loud. It was clear, and obviously it was overwhelming. And John, when he sees the Lord and when he hears the Lord in his glory and in his power, he is so shocked, he is so disturbed, he is so overwhelmed that the Bible says he falls over like a dead man. That's not necessarily an uncommon thing, is it? And when we think about what it's going to be like when we get to heaven and when we see the Lord, it's only by the grace of God that we will be able to stand before him, But when I look at this, I see something that really blesses me because when John is so overwhelmed by the sight of Jesus and all of his glory, Jesus does something that we might not expect. He comes up to Jesus, takes his right hand, that hand of authority and power, lays it on him, and says, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And so the first thing that we see of Jesus in his own words is that he is the one who gives assurance. It really doesn't matter what anyone else says. It really doesn't matter even how you feel or what you think. It's what Jesus says that really matters. Are you born again? Are you a child of God? In the book of Matthew it says that many are going to stand before him and say Lord, Lord and then recite their works and he's going to say these words to them, depart from me and here's the key I never knew you. And so John here is hearing the assuring voice of Jesus as Jesus tells him with his hand on him, don't be afraid, fear not. Now those terms, uh, don't be afraid or fear not, found several places in the Bible. And some people kind of have this assumption that Jesus is just, you know, somebody you shoot a little pool with and somebody that you high five and a buddy that hangs around you and that these words, don't be afraid or do not fear, that those are for everyone, everywhere at all times. But can I remind you that the Bible tells us that when Jesus rose from the dead, there were soldiers that were standing there at the tomb. And the Bible tells us that those soldiers were afraid when they saw Jesus. And the Bible tells us that they trembled and that they became as dead men. Just like John. But, you know what the difference is? Jesus said nothing to them. Jesus did not put his hand off the Them And Jesus did not say, don't be afraid. Why did he do that to John and not to the soldiers? Because the soldiers were unrepentant Roman pagans. John was a child of God. Assurance does not belong to the unbeliever. Jesus will not falsely assure someone who is not saved and on their way to hell. But for the child of God. For those who have repented of their sins, for those who have trusted in the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection as full payment for their sins, Jesus has a word for us today. Whatever you face, wherever you are, whatever you're feeling, whatever the circumstances may be, he has touched you and he has said to you, don't be afraid. I am your Lord and I am walking with you. You have my power and my victory everywhere you go and in every situation that you face. Which brings us into the second point. He said, I am the first and the last. What in the world did he mean by that? Well, the scripture tells us that Jesus Christ is God. And we see his deity in all of this. This is the point of being the first and the last. Listen to Isaiah 41 verse 4. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. And so Jesus, whenever he says this, he is making a statement to John and to us. It's why it's recorded. I am Jesus. I am God. I'm not Jehovah's deputy. I'm not a creation of God that is just substandard or lower than the Lord. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1 that he was with God in the beginning, that he created all things and then became flesh, and we had the privilege to behold his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Someone said that idols will come and go. He was before them, and he will remain after them. There was a song back in the 80s that said, you'll still be Lord of all. And when everything crumbles when the nations fall, when the kingdoms fall down, and when the kings themselves are done away with, Jesus will still be there, and he will still be the Lord of all. Nothing diminishes that. Nothing even threatens that. That is an accomplished fact because Jesus is God in human flesh. Never, ever, ever forget that. And thirdly, When you look at this, he makes a statement, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And this tells us thirdly about his victory. This is the Lord who really died, who really suffered pain. This is the one who was really nailed to a cross. This is the one who had been scourged and beaten. This is the one who had the crown of thorns upon his head. This is the one whose life's blood drained out of him. This is the one who said, I am finished. And then, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he gave up his spirit. He died. This is the one that was laid in the grave. This is the one they wept over. This is the one that had the spear put into his side. This is the one who was put into the grave. And yet, the Bible tells us that on the third day, when the women went to the the tomb, they found the stone had already been rolled away, and the body of Jesus was missing. They wondered where he was. Mary Magdalene said, where is the Lord? And said to the one she supposed to be the gardener, where have you taken him? What have you done with the body of the Lord? And Jesus, the risen Lord, spoke her name and said, Mary. And instantly she recognized him and fell at his feet. This is the one that has triumphed over the grave. And he triumphed not only for himself, but he triumphed for us so that we don't have to fear. The grave. The living one is a description of God in Acts 14 15, Romans 9 26, 2 Corinthians 3 3, 6, 16, and 1 Thessalonians 1 9, and 1 Timothy 3 15, and 4 10. And I know you didn't get all that, but I do that just so that it cements in your heart that when he says, I'm the one who lives, that that is a common term that the bible speaks of that over and over and over he's not a dead idol he's not a dead god he's not a statue that we might worship he is not anything like that at all he lives today and he sits at the right hand of god the father ruling and reigning over us and over his church he is the one who is sitting there until his enemies become his footstool he is the one who is going to return he is the one who is going to reign on the earth Jesus is the living Lord of all and so we think about that and we think about what Peter said for Christ also died for sins once for all the just for the unjust so that he might bring us to God having been put to death notice this in the flesh because you can't kill God in the flesh But made alive in the spirit. And that's the reason for Christmas. Jesus put on flesh. So that he could come and die for us. Other than that. You can't kill God. How in the world would a sacrifice ever be made? There was no human qualified. So Jesus as God came to earth and as the unblemished lamb died in our place suffered the wrath of God while he was on the cross and died and then conquered death he is the victor. Hosea 13:14 says, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol, that's the grave or the place of the dead. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, Where is your sting? And of course, the Apostle Paul quoted that later on when he would tell us that we have nothing to fear about death. We have nothing to fear about the afterlife if our hope is in Jesus Christ. He is the victor who has given us his very own victory. And then we find, fourthly, that Jesus says, I am the liberator. I am the one who sets captives free. And he says, And I have the keys of Hades and of death. I've always been impressed with Hebrews chapter 2, 14 through 18. Listen to these words carefully. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things... That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps. But he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore... He had to be made like his brothers in every respect that he might become a merciful. Do you hear that? A merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those Who are being tempted. Who are the ones being tempted? Us. And Jesus is not the one. Who stands distant. And separate. And says you're on your own bud. Jesus is not the one. Who stands at a distance. Watching and says you better get it right. Jesus is the one. Who comes to our aid. And when does he come to our aid. At that very moment where the enemy is tempting us, dropping the bait. And why is it a temptation? Because we want it. Because it appeals to us. Because it gets our attention. And at that very moment, where we are on the verge of sinning against God, and considering it, and even desiring it, what does the Scripture say? He is the merciful and sympathetic one who comes to our aid. These verses tell us that before all of this happened in the gospel, how were people living? Living in fear of death. And the devil's weapon against people was the fear of death. You find people all over the place. They're afraid to die. We do everything we can to live and to live as long as we possibly can. And most people die. When they die, they die in fear. They die in terror. They die with sadness. They die with regret. But because of Jesus coming to earth and becoming like us and living on this earth, being tempted and subject to all of the things that humans are subject to, and yet he did it all without sin so that he was qualified to die on the cross for us and then conquered death through his resurrection, he gives us the hope of eternal life and the hope to know that when we die it's not the end we're not defeated we don't have to be afraid that we're going to be drug into hell but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord to think that death is merely me changing addresses I'm no longer on this earth I'm no longer going to be living in this body But I'm going to be in heaven and I'm going to be with the Lord. And it's not going to be because of me. And it's not going to be because of anything that I've done. It's going to be because he, the righteous God, died on the cross for me and for my sins. And I have received by faith the very righteousness of God. What an arrogant statement that is. What a bold statement that is. For me, someone like me, to say that I have the righteousness of God, well, if I just came up with that and I said that, then you'd have every right to think that. But this is what the Bible says. For everyone that puts their faith and trust in Christ, their sin is forgiven, cast as far as the east is from the west, remembered no more by God the Father. And on your record book is placed the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so whenever you die, child of God, whenever you slip out of this body and angels escort you to your heavenly home, when you get there, there won't be a St. Peter checking you out at the gate. That's myth. That's fantasy. That's not Bible. I don't get into heaven. You don't get into heaven because Peter says we can get into heaven. You are welcomed into heaven just like the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, was welcomed into heaven when he ascended. What do you think that was like? What do you think it was like that day when the disciples watched Jesus ascend into heaven? tell you what i think in the psalms it says open wide o ancient gates and let the king of glory in can you imagine as jesus got close angels begin to cry out open wide o ancient gates and let the king of glory in And then there was a cry from the other side of the gates. Who is this king of glory? And then the angels began to shout together. The Lord mighty in battle is he. And can you imagine as Jesus stepped through those gates of pearl on those streets of gold, can you imagine the shout that erupted from the angels and from everyone else who was in heaven? Can you imagine the music? Can you imagine the trumpets as they began to blow? Can you imagine people as they begin to sing the glories of God? And can you imagine God the Father saying, Come, my son, and set at your at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. Can you imagine the joy and the celebration? Let me tell you something. When you get to heaven, you will be just as welcome as Jesus. Why? Because you're not going there on your own merit. You're going there on the righteousness and the sacrifice of Christ. You're not going there and trying to prove yourself or having to sell yourself or having to convince somebody that you are worthy to be in heaven. You will be welcomed. There'll be a place at the table for you. There'll be a mansion prepared for you. And you will hear the Lord say, Enter into the joy of your Lord. Why? Because Jesus came and he died And as we celebrate today, he was raised from the dead. And he robbed the devil of his weapon, and he conquered that. And the Bible says he took the keys. Can you imagine? I don't know exactly when that happened. I don't know exactly how that happened. But the Bible talks about uh, if he ascended, then he first descended. And the Bible says... Peter wrote about this, that he preached to the spirits in prison. Was he giving them a second chance? Oh, no. I think he went and he confronted the enemy between the cross and the resurrection. And he confronted them and said, you have failed. I am victorious over you. And he says, and these belong to me. And he took the keys to death and the grave. And he led captivity captive and brought them into the presence of God. And the Lord is the one who is the victor. So what is it that holds you today? Drugs? Alcohol? A sexual addiction? Pornography? What is it that holds you today? A temper that you can't control? What is it that holds you and captivates you today? And I just want to say... He who set the captives free is the one who holds the keys to break the shackles from your hands, to set you free today as well. And so when we think about the risen Christ, we think about the one who not only died for us, not only was raised for us, but we find that he is the one who liberates us. Keys mean access and authority the power to open and to close I can go out to my vehicle and I can get in it and I can drive it and drive it home because I've got the keys you don't I've got the keys why? it belongs to me I've got a key on here to my house why do I have a key to that and you don't because that house belongs to me and my wife We have the keys. We can go in, we can go out. When we go in, we can lock you or anyone else out of the house. Why? We are the homeowners. I want you to think about Jesus holding the keys to death and the keys to the grave. Jesus is the one who decides who is born, how long they live, and Jesus is the one who decides the day of death for us the bible says we're created in the image of god that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that even before we're born the number of days we have on earth has already been determined i don't know what that is for some it's long for some it's short but it's all under the control of almighty god why is that Because the devil doesn't hold the keys. And the devil doesn't have the right to do that. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But the victor holds the keys. The liberator holds the keys. And he is the one that holds us as well. So when you think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A historical fact, yes. A glorious fact. Absolutely. But I want you to think about the fact that John, the beloved disciple, who knew Jesus perhaps better than anyone, when he was confronted with the risen, glorified Christ, he was terrified, shocked, and overwhelmed, and he passed out. And yet Jesus reached down and touched him and said, hey, John, don't be afraid. That's the same God that speaks to you, child of God, about every circumstance in your life. Don't be afraid. Because Jesus is the one who is God in human flesh. He understands. He's sympathetic. He walks with you. He's never distant from you. He doesn't ever have to come to the rescue. He is the rescue who is always with you. He is God. He is also the one that is the victor. He has conquered the devil. He has conquered hell. He has conquered the grave. And he conquered you. That's why you're saved. You are the one who belongs to him. And he has given you his victory. You have nothing to fear. Because of who he is. Rest in him. And enjoy that. Because it's given to you as a gift. And understand that the freedom that you long for and the freedom that you have, it's in His hands. You can't set yourself free. Try as hard as you might. The more you pull against the shackles that hold you, the more they cut into your wrists. The more pain they cause. But when the one who sets the captives free takes the keys and unlocks those shackles. The Bible says, Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Let that sink in. Don't let the enemy put chains around you. Don't let them intimidate you or harass you. You look to the Lord, the one who has set you free. Don't be afraid, believer. Christ has touched you, and the one who assures, he's the one who assures. He's the one who is God Almighty. He is the one who won the victory and gives us his victory. He's the liberator who holds the keys and sets us free. We have nothing to fear in him or in life or in death Or in eternity. Why? Because he is the risen Christ. And we rest in him completely. Can you say amen to that? Have you trusted him? If you haven't trusted him, will you trust him today? The Bible says that salvation is not accomplished salvation is not something that is achieved it's not something that is earned it's not something that we deserve it's not a merit badge to be sewn onto our uniforms it is not anything like that at all salvation the Bible says is a gift A gift that is freely given. Of course, if it's not freely given, it's not a gift, is it? God gives you the gift of salvation. Now, how do we receive the gift of salvation? The Bible says it's by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are saved are saved for only one reason, and that is the grace of God. And it's by the grace of God that we understand who we are. Sinners, separated for God. We needed a Savior. We need the atonement. Only God's grace will bring you to that point. If you've never really seen that, believed that, or been affected by that, it's because you haven't really been saved and you haven't been touched by God's grace. God's grace will show you who you really are you say that doesn't sound pleasant it's not it's not it's a burden to see yourself as a sinner but the grace of God also does something else in the book of Acts it says that they rejoiced because God granted the Gentiles repentance did you know that the grace of God will make you repent of your sin? You'll turn from trusting in yourself, trusting in your works, trusting in dead religion and lifeless things to trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. To hate your sin, to discard your sin, to forsake your sin and to turn to Jesus Christ, that only happens by grace. And the Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, the resurrection is even involved in salvation. And it's by the grace of God that you understand that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all, the master, the boss of you and everything else. It's only through the grace of God... That you ever come to the point of surrendering your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only by the grace of God that you really believe that he was raised from the dead. And so today, have you tasted of the grace of God? Have you repented of your sins? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Saved. Will you trust Him today if you haven't? And will you surrender to this risen Christ? Because as John was absolutely shocked, overwhelmed, and terrified at seeing Jesus, think about what it's going to be for you if you're lost and have never trusted Him. You won't have the assurance. You won't have Him safely or not. You'll recognize the terror of facing and falling into the hands of a living God. But if you'll trust Jesus, he'll touch you. And you have nothing to fear because you are in his grace. The undeserved favor and love of Jesus Christ. Having his presence all of the days that you live... He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll love you with a maximum love. He'll take away your sins. He'll give you his victory and his power all of your life. And when you die, you'll spend eternity with the one that you love and the one that loves you more than anyone ever could. And what a glorious day that's going to be. When we see the risen Lord on his throne in glory and we truly worship and praise him and we see the nail scars in his hands and in his feet and know that he did that to redeem us, the undeserving fallen creatures who have rebelled against him and yet he had mercy and gave us his grace. To God be the glory and all God's people said, Amen. amen. Father, as we think about these things, Jesus, in his own words, we thank you that we don't have to guess. We don't have to try our hardest and hope that it was good enough. Jesus has already done everything necessary to redeem us and bring us to God. Thank you, Lord, that we serve a risen Savior. We glorify him. We say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. And, Lord, we look forward to the day when we see you face to face, all because of undeserved grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.